you pray with me? Father, this morning I pray that the things I say would not come from me, but they would, they would be your words, Lord, spoken through me to your people. I pray, Lord, that we would hear and understand and respond to your words. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the honor and the praise for it all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me this morning about Palm Sunday. I've chosen for a title, The Agony of Victory. The Agony of Victory, because it, it, it's a victory that happened on Palm Sunday. And most of us don't, don't, don't really get it. And I, I was thinking that before we can really truly understand Palm Sunday and what it means, we have to go back to Genesis. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see something there that's going to help us to really, really get Palm Sunday. Now, you know, God, God, God loves us, folks. And you hear that all the time. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And God decided to create man and he placed man in a garden. He brought man a beautiful wife named Eve and he said something to them. He gave them one simple law to obey. You'd think that they could do that. Amen? Just give us one law. One law to obey. He said, you may eat of the fruit of all the trees of the garden except one. The one in the middle of the garden, you can't eat of that. Because if you do, you're going to die. Now, that's all he had to say to me. If you tell me I'm going to die, I would not have eaten of that tree. Because i got this thing about life. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Amen? <laughs> well, Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. So we need to understand why we're in this condition that we're in. Human beings are in the condition that they're in because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It's just that simple. Now I'm going to give you some theology this morning. I'm going to prove to you that Adam and Eve were white people. I'm trying to help you out, y'all. I'm going to tell you how I know that. First of all, black women don't talk to snakes. They don't. They're afraid of snakes. Had he been a black woman, she would have picked up a stick and beat Satan to death. He'd be gone. He'd been gone today. So that's one infallible proof. They're white folks. See, white folks like snakes. I don't know what's it what's what's about. I have snakes for pets. And I, how do I know that Adam was black? I know that because of this. Have you ever tried to take a rib from a black man? (laughs) Don't try that. You will get shot. See, those are proofs. (laughs) Now, see, I can. You can't use that joke, y'all, when you preach. You do that in a a black church, you will get shot. (laughs) Only I can do that because I ain't got any sense. Here we go. Now that I have your attention, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They broke his law. And because of that, we find ourselves in the condition that we're in today. And God judged Adam and Eve that day. And that serpent as well. But if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says something. I'm going to start reading at verse, perhaps verse 14. This is God speaking to the serpent. He said, the Lord said to the serpent, because... You have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now watch this, verse 15. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, here's the way it reads in the Message Bible. It says, I am declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will wound your head, you will wound his heel. Now listen, folks, even then, God's love for us began to work for us. God promised to redeem us. God promised to provide a way to bring us back into relationship with him. Now, that's what this Palm Sunday is all about. And when you hear Jesus talking about, my hour has come, now is the time he's talking about that. That promise that God made way back in the Garden of Eden. And everything from that moment on in the Bible is about Jesus. It all points to this one that would come in the fullness of time. Now, if I run out of time, oh, by the way, you will know because I will speed up in my speaking. And I will leave out about five pages of notes. So it's okay. If I do that, just help me out. Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, also known as Passion Sunday, signifies the beginning of what we know as Holy Week. That's what it's all about. And the focus is usually on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus, isn't it? That's what we talk about. And, and, and in some churches, everybody receives at the end of the service a palm leaf, don't they? And, and, and most people take these little palm leaves and they fashion them into a cross and they hang them on the mirror of their car or somewhere in their home. Now, I don't know why they do that. I mean, perhaps they think that, uh, you know, it's going to protect them or it, somehow they're going to get favor from God if that's hanging around. I don't know. But I'm here to tell you that it has no power to do any of that. It's just a palm leaf. Amen? That's all it is. But, or maybe, maybe people are doing it because they want to have a reminder of the cross and all that it means. Maybe it's that. That's okay. I don't have any problem with people that do that. But I do have a concern, and I want to share that with you today. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time exegeting all these texts because I just don't have time to do that. But I would encourage you to, to study God's Word and, 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 to, and to meditate over God's Word and find all the deep theological truths and principles that are in this Scripture. But today, I've got to talk quickly about what this Palm Sunday really, really means. Because my concern is this, is that many people come to church on Palm Sunday and they leave the service feeling pretty good about themselves, having attended service at all. But they leave without really, really grasping the true purpose of the day. And after more than 2,000 years, people still, still don't get Jesus. They don't get him. I mean, we hear his name all the time. People use his name in vain. They use it in profanity. But people don't get Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's about the only name that you can't talk about without getting in trouble. I mean, you talk about Jesus. You say you, you can talk about Buddha. You can talk about, you can talk about uh, Allah. You can talk about all of these others. But if you say Jesus, you'll get arrested. Your children can't talk about him in school. 
But folks, I'm here to tell you, after 2,000 years, people still don't get this purpose. People still don't get this mission. And people certainly don't get this message. But this morning, I want us to get the message of Jesus today. I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. I'm not talking about the Benny Hinn Jesus. I'm not talking about the TV Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus, the one that died on the cross for your sins and mine to pay the penalty for our sins so that you and I could have a right to the tree of life. I want to introduce you to him because if you don't know Jesus, folks, you are on a one-way journey to hell. Oh, I said hell in church. We don't say hell, do we? Because that's not very popular in our culture to say hell because everybody thinks everybody's going to go to heaven. Amen? Well, I got news for you. Everybody talking about Jesus ain't going to heaven. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. The Bible makes that very clear, doesn't it? Matthew 7 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only those who do the will of God are going to go to heaven. And so we can go to church, we can be baptized, we can do all this good stuff, but if we don't know Jesus personally as our Lord and our Savior, we will not go to heaven. Now, John chapter 12, perhaps Pastor John has already been talking about it, I don't know, but John chapter 12 can be divided into four separate sections. First of all, in in verses 1 through 11, we will find the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. In John chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 19, we find the triumphal entry. Chapter 12, verses 20 through 36, we find the Gentiles seeking Jesus, or the Greeks seeking Jesus. And in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50, we see the Jews' rejection of Jesus. Now I want to pick up this morning at verses 12 and 13. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Think about that. Hosanna. We sang that song this morning, Hosanna. And what, I'm, what comes to mind when I read that scripture is this. People really want God on their own terms. You know, that you might write that as your first point. People want God as their own terms, but uh, on their own terms. But listen, you can't have God on your own terms. It simply does not work like that. And we learn that these people, when they sang Hosanna, you know what, you know what Hosanna means? Literally means, Hosanna literally means save now. I pray thee. Save now, I pray thee. Now imagine what the people, I mean, they'd seen all these miracles. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. People, as a matter of fact, had come to Jerusalem and to the house of Lazarus just to see him. They wanted to see this guy that had been dead. We're all like that. We're ambulance chasers, aren't we? We, I mean, somebody says, you know, there's a guy that died at Hokeston and then Pastor Terry raised him from the dead. People will come here to see him. I want to see the dead guy that was raised. I mean, you have a church full of people. But I'm here to tell you, they, there's something else that was going on with the folks that day. You see, the Christ that they were seeking, the Messiah that they were seeking, was one that they expected to come and establish the kingdom of David on earth. That's the one they'd heard about in the Old Testament law. 
that, that the Messiah would live forever, that he would establish the kingdom on earth. And they, were, they, they wanted to be saved now from the oppression of Rome. When that didn't happen, they got upset, didn't they? You see, they can't, you can't have Jesus on your own terms. But I have to say this to you. I have to give the people the benefit of the doubt because they simply didn't understand. They didn't know. Even his disciples didn't understand until after he was glorified. They, they didn't get it. And let me tell you something about Jesus, y'all. You can't understand Jesus in your own little old thinking with your little finite mind. You have to, listen, God has to do something to us before we, before we can understand anything about him. You know what it's called? It's called a regeneration. God has to quicken our dead spirit. He has to bring our dead spirit back to life so we can begin to understand anything of God. Otherwise, we will seek God, but the God that we seek will be the kind of the people we're seeking. He's a God of their own making. He's a God, a, a, a user-friendly kind of God. Amen? He's the kind of God that will give them what they want. You turn on the TV, there's a lot of false preachers out there today, folks, that'll give you the Jesus that you want. He's the kind of Jesus that'll give you health and wealth and prosperity. Amen? And all you got to do is just throw some money up here on the stage, y'all, and I can give you that kind of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And people flock to those kinds of preachers because folks want to have what's in this world. They want to have good health. They want to have wealth. They want to have prosperity. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the one that's here. These people wanted a, a, a God that they could call their king that would be there with them. And that, that's going to happen someday. But it wasn't going to happen then. Folks today still don't understand. They still want God on their own terms. People still love signs and wonders, don't they? They still love to see miracles. And, and have, you ever, have you ever heard a, a church advertise, you know, come to the, to the miracle service at whatever church and, and come and get your miracle? Folks don't go to those churches. I'm here to tell you, listen, you don't need to go to a church to get a miracle. Amen? If God's going to do a miracle, he's going to do a miracle. And the greatest miracle that God can do in your life and my life is to draw us to himself. That's a miracle. If he can save somebody like Mitch Dowell, that is really a miracle. And he did. Some 30 years ago, he took this dirty, rotten kid from North Carolina who was, I, mean, I was as bad as they get. Now, I know you don't believe that, but I was. Ask my wife. She'll be here at 1030. Ask her how bad I was. But she was worse than me. <laughs> he was. People today run after a God of their own making, but you can't have God on your own terms. And so when Jesus didn't provide them with what they wanted, the same people, perhaps the same people in that crowd, just a few days later, the same people that were crying, make him king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Some of the same people were calling for his execution. That's not the kind of Jesus you want. You don't, listen, you don't want a user-friendly God. You want a God who loves you like Jesus loves you. Here's the point. You can't come to God on your own terms. You've got to come to him on his terms. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. I am the way. There's no other way to get to God except through Christ, by way of the cross, through faith in him alone. Amen? Let me go on. 
Wasn't long after that, here come the Greeks. Now, the word Greek, and I, I want you to understand that when you see these Greeks that came to Jesus, wanting to see him, these guys are considered the Gentiles. They represent all Gentiles. And sometimes you'll hear uh, in Scripture, you'll read that, uh, for example, Paul says uh, over in Romans uh, uh, chapter 12, I think. It might have been chapter 1. I can't remember. It's all this Bible stuff. It's just full of Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of salvation unto, of God unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the what? Greek. Or I think some versions say unto the barbarians even. But, but, but when you see the word Greek, it's talking about Gentiles. All of us. Everybody other than the Jews. So here these men come. If you notice, if you remember, back at the birth of Christ... The Gentiles came to see him from the east. And here at the death of Christ, the Gentiles are coming to see him from the west. They wanted to see Jesus. And they came to Philip and they asked Philip and they said, we would see, we wish to see Jesus. That is, we want to have uh, an interview with him. I mean, everybody could see Jesus. It It wasn't about them seeing him with their eyes. They wanted to have an interview with him. And so they came to Philip. And then Philip goes to Andrew. I mean, now why did Philip go to Andrew? I mean, you know, why couldn't he just say, okay, I know where he is. But, but Philip went to Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip both took this man to Jesus. Now, folks, if you're looking, if you're noticing John, in the Gospel of John, every time you see Andrew, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. That's good. That's a good example. He was always bringing somebody to Jesus. But, but I was wondering myself, why were these guys hesitant at all? Well, perhaps it's because Jesus had taught his disciples over in Matthew not to, to avoid Gentiles. Remember that? He taught them to avoid the Gentiles. But now he was saying, bring them. It, it, that, the, the, that the cross is for the Gentiles as well. And so Andrew uh, and Philip take these men to Jesus. It is so interesting as I read this. That, that, that the Jews, when, 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 uh, when, when Christ was right there, face to face with them, what did they ask for? They wanted to see a sign. And they've got the Savior standing before them. They wanted to see a sign. And here these Greeks come, and what do they want to see? They want to see Jesus. You want to see Jesus? That's what we ought to want to see. We we want to see him, not with our eyes so much, but we want to see him for real. Some folks, like these Jews, saw him with their eyes and didn't see him at all. And and, and here these men said, we want to see him. We want to have an audience with him. We want to interview him. We want to get to know him. Folks, you ought to want to get to know Jesus. Because, see, you can see him. You can hear about him. But if you don't know him, well, Philip... And Andrew told Jesus. Do you notice that Christ did not address these Greeks directly? As a matter of fact, I think he was talking to Philip and Andrew. And and perhaps the crowd that was around and maybe these Greeks were part of that crowd. I I don't know, but, but, but I noticed what he said. He began to say something that, that is so interesting to me. Let me turn over here and read that to you. Uh, says, 
Then they came to Philip, uh, who was uh, from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew, in turn, uh, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, answered them, talking about, he's talking about Andrew and Philip, I believe. He answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I believe that Christ took the coming of these Gentiles to see him, seeking him as evidence that the time had come for him to be glorified, for him to die. He knew that. And, and you know, when you see my hour, when he, when he talks about my hour has come before this moment, this hour that was talked about in the Bible was always somewhere out there in the future. My hour is not yet. But now here he is. He said, my hour has come. But watch this, it says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Folks, this is, this is a beautiful picture. Christ is the grain. He said, he said if I remain alone, it, I will just be one grain. He said, but when that grain of wheat is buried in the ground, it dies and it germinates and it will produce a whole crop of grain. And that's what Jesus was saying. I must die. He's talking about the death of the cross. I can't hang around here. I can't stay with you folks. I've got to die. This is the purpose for which I came, to die. You know that's what Jesus is about, folks? He's about, he's about dying and paying my, the penalty for my sin and your sin. We, got, we need to get that on Palm Sunday. My hour has come. What would you do if you had one week to live? If you knew you had a week to live, what would you do? You may not have a week, y'all. You know, I may not have a, an hour to live. I know that if I don't get done in time, I may not. But he said, it is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if I was thinking about dying on a cross, I don't know that glorification would be in my mind. That's why I call this the agony of victory. He knew that the victory was about to happen. When he died on that cross, he would be glorified. Look at verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. He's talking about his death. I've got to die. I've got to die. But I'm going to be glorified. Verse 25 is a key verse. Folks, listen, if you, if, you want to, if you want to love this life in this world, you can do that. But I'm here to tell you, if you love this life, the Bible says you will lose it. That word lose is an interesting word. I looked it up. That word lose means to destroy. What, what Christ is saying is this. If we love our life in this world, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose our life. He said, but if we hate our life, and that word hate is another interesting word. It means that we, that we hate our, or let me put it this way. We love Jesus and the Christ life more than the life this world has to offer. This world will offer you a life that will not take you anywhere. It will ultimately destroy you. We know a lot of people, just, just read the tabloids even. And we know a lot of folks who love this life so much only to end up being destroyed themselves. Jesus says... But if you hate this life, his life in this world, you're going to keep it 
When we love the Christ life more than the world life, then this life will go on beyond the grave on into eternity. Amen? We've got to move on because I'm running out of time, but let me go on. He says this. This is in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, 27. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, your own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Did you get that? That word hate there, again, means you've got to love them less. It doesn't mean you hate them like we understand the word hate. But you've got to love even your own family, your own life, less than God. You've got to love God more. You say, well, that's a pretty tall order, Mitch. It is. But that's, I, I, mean, I, I didn't say that. He said it. He said, if you don't love me more than all of these, you cannot be my disciple. You can't follow me. Go over to Mark. He said, when he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. There it goes again. Take up your cross. When's the last time you carried a cross? A cross is is an instrument of torture. It's an instrument of death. Jesus said we've got to die to ourselves. We've got to die to this life in this world, and we've got to live unto him. And we can't do that on our own. It's 10 o'clock. And I've been told that I can go to maybe 10 after. So I'm going to do something here. What is the purpose of Palm Sunday? I'm not going to be able to go over all the other stuff that I had written there. Just just not. The purpose of Palm Sunday is, is this. Jesus was going to die on that cross, and he knew it. He said at one point, he says, my, now my soul is troubled. Why would his soul be troubled? Because he was also a man. Though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And no doubt, Christ had seen numerous crucifixions. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what was going through his mind. When he knew that now the time has come, I spent, I spent these years, these three years with these men. I poured my life into these men. I prepared them to become my spokespersons to the whole world. But my time is almost here. And they're going to nail me to a cross. I don't know, what, I don't know about you, but, but emotionally and mentally, he's, he was in mental and emotional turmoil. His heart was troubled. And mine would be troubled too. What did he say? He said, said, what should I say? What what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should say? It's all a rhetorical question. No. It it was was for this very purpose that I came. There's no question in in his mind about whether or not he was going to do the will of the Father. It wasn't about that. It was just about the emotional turmoil he was going through as he considered what was going to happen. This was the agony before the Garden of Gethsemane. He was agonizing over this death. You know what he said? Father, glorify your name. He prayed, Father, glorify your name. And the voice came to heaven and said, I've already glorified it, and, and, I, and I will glorify it again. What was he talking about there? He said, my name has been glorified by your perfect life of obedience to this point, son. That was, that was one of the other times that a voice came from heaven. He said, I'll glorify it again. He was going to glorify it again when Jesus died on that cross and rose from the grave on Easter Sunday. He would be glorified again. And Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. 
Because, folks, the cross represents the judgment of the world. And what happens, what, listen, folks, what happens to this world is all based upon how the world treats Jesus. How the world treats the Son of God. It will be judged because or condemned because of how it treated Jesus. And so, here comes the Jews. The Jews come to Jesus. They had seen. They'd seen all these miracles. They wanted a sign, right? They asked for a sign. He'd, he'd given sight to the blind. He'd caused the lame to walk. <laughs> he'd caused the, the, uh, the, the, the dumb to talk, the deaf to hear. He'd even raised the dead. They'd seen it with their own eyes. They didn't believe. He said they still didn't believe. But it was prophesied by Isaiah that they wouldn't believe. And God would harden their heart. And here's the point, folks. Listen. God gives you and me and opportunities to believe. Did you know that? You need to understand something about Jesus. You say, I, want, I, I don't know about this Jesus. I hear a lot about Christ, and, and maybe one of these days I will, I'll believe in him. Let me tell you, you cannot believe in Jesus just any old time you decide to do it. Did you know that? You can't do it. No person in here, not, not you, not me, nobody will ever come to Christ on their own accord. You know why? Because our nature is sinful. If we choose God on our own accord, it's one of those user-friendly kind of gods. It doesn't really work. But Jesus said this over in John 6.44, I think. He says, no one can come to me except my Father who sent me draws them. Do you remember that? Jesus said, if I, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So what he said? I will draw all men. Now, when he says draw all men, he's not talking about everybody's going to be saved. But what he was saying, he says, uh, I think in one scripture it says, I will draw all peoples, plural, meaning that no longer is it just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles, it's for all races of people, and God will draw people from everywhere to himself. But listen, when God draws us, we have a responsibility to do something in the drawing. That word draw is an interesting word. And what it means, it literally means to drag. God said, I will drag people. Why would it say, why would it mean drag? It's like this. Imagine a, a net full of fish and you're trying to drag those fish into a boat. Right? The idea is that when God draws us, there's a natural resistance to the drawing. You see, the, because this sinful part of me does not really want to get away from sin because sin is fun. You know what I mean? I don't want to leave my sin. So the, the natural man resists the things of God, but God is drawing us, and we have an option at that point to either re- surrender to God's drawing and be saved, or we can continue to resist God's drawing and remain in darkness. Today, you are here not because your wife forced you to come, husbands. Not because, this, I, I'm coming because my mama... I promised my mama I would go to church on Palm Sunday. You think you're here for that reason? No. I'll tell you why you're here. You're here because back when Jesus laid the foundation of the world, he knew that you would be here today. He knew that you needed to hear the gospel that he loves you and that he would draw you to himself. Listen, if Jesus is drawing you today, you need to respond to that. You need to surrender your life to him. That doesn't mean that, to, that, that, that I'm suddenly going to become this perfect person. It simply means that you come to the realization 
that you have sinned against a holy God, that you have broken his law and the penalty for your sin and my sin is death. And he says, if you will come to me, I'm drawing you to myself. If you will surrender, I will forgive your sins and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you eternal life. That's what God will do for you if you will just come to him. But folks, you've got to, you listen, you have got to surrender to the drawing. Now, some of you, he's not going to draw today. Do you know that? Some, some folks just not being drawn. I know when I was a, a young preacher, I used, to, uh, I used to really get upset when I'd give the invitation and nobody would come forward. I said, why? I really, I really knocked their socks off with that sermon, God. What's up with this? I finally came to the realization that people come because I convinced them that was the wrong reason to come anyway. But people need to come when the Spirit of God draws them to himself. You don't have to walk down the aisle of a church. You don't have to do that to be saved. You know that? No. But you have to decide when God gives you the ability the capacity to decide. And that's called regeneration. Because until then, the Bible says you, we are dead, what? In our trespasses and sin. And dead folks can't do anything. Do you all know that? <laughs> dead folks can't make decisions. Dead people can't think. I've seen a lot of dead folks in my, in my life, and every one of them are dead. Like they look dead. Some look better dead than they did alive. But nonetheless, they were dead. They couldn't do anything. I could, people could cry over them and touch them, and, but they're just dead. But watch this. We're the same way, the Bible says. Without Jesus, until God regenerates us and quickens our dead spirit, we are just dead. But what happens all of a sudden? You're in church, you hear a sermon about Jesus, and all of a sudden you start thinking about this thing called the gospel and God's love. And you say, you know, that makes sense. You know what just happened? God just regenerated you. He just gave you the capacity to have faith, to believe. And you can believe. I'm going to ask you this morning to believe. Because I've got to stop. You don't believe with your head. Because that, that, a lot of folks believe. As a matter of fact, in our scripture today, you find it says that a lot of the Jews believed. A lot of the leaders believed. But, but man, their belief was kind of shaky. You know what I mean? It, they believed, but, but they, they kept it quiet. Folks, listen, Jesus doesn't have any secret disciples. Amen. They kept it quiet because they were afraid of being excommunicated, put out of the synagogue. But, but that's not the real tragedy of that verse. You know what it says in the next verse? It says, but they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And there are a lot of people today that God is drawing to himself that will not surrender because they're afraid of being put out of something. Maybe put out of their... I was, I was raised Catholic. And when I came to Jesus, you know what happens to Catholics when you come to Jesus? It's almost the same thing that happens to Jews. They have a funeral for you. Let me tell you, you need to, you need to surrender if he's calling you this morning. How do I do that? I'm going to tell you how to do it. You have to say something to God with your mouth. If you believe in your heart, then you've got to confess him with your mouth. And I say you do that two ways. You do it through prayer, and then you do it publicly at some point. You say, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just right now. While nobody's looking, I'm going to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus right where you're sitting. 
Now, folks, I'm not looking at you myself. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or any of that stuff. But I am going to say this. Some of you that are sitting here, you're not being drawn by God, and so you're not feeling anything. That's okay, because God is going to draw you when he sees fit. But some of you may be being drawn by the Father because you know that your life is not the way it ought to be. And your heart is pounding out of your chest right now. You're thinking, I need to do this. Would you just pray a prayer? Use your words, not mine, but maybe something like this. Lord, I get it now. I know why Jesus came. I know that it was my sin that he died to pay the penalty that I couldn't pay. I believe it. I believe that, Lord. And I believe that in his dying on the cross, that, that he satisfied your requirement for righteousness. And that that righteousness now, he wants to give to me. I believe that. And I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and my Savior. And I'll turn away from this sinful life that I'm living, Lord. And in your power, I will walk a walk that is pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for dying for me, for rising again on Easter. And for the promise, Lord, that one day you'll come and receive me to yourself, that where you are, I will be also. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, folks, if that's what, uh, if you prayed that prayer or a prayer from your heart to God because of his word, what it says, and you're saved. You need to do something else. You need to talk to Pastor Terry. You need to talk to Pastor John. You need to talk to some of your elders or deacons or somebody. Tell them what you've done. Because the next step is baptism and discipleship. Amen? I have enjoyed, even though I didn't get to preach my sermon. (laughs) I have enjoyed being with you this morning. Don't leave this building without talking to that man or somebody about the decision you made for Christ. Amen.